so we're on part two of the Russian invasion. And Lord willing, I'll get you out of here before three in the afternoon anyway. Uh, there's a lot of scripture and I, I, I went, I, I put, I probably put too much up. You know, God, God is sovereign over the nations. And, and we have, we have scripture uh, everywhere to back that up. Uh, Job said he increases the nations and destroys them and enlarges the nations and strengthens them again. And I like this because it says God builds up the nations and he reduces the nations. In verse 24, he takes away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth. Mm, who's that? And causes them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. I couldn't find a verse that would more describe Washington, D.C., or Montpelier than Job 12.25, I'm telling you. But God is in control. And if there's anything underlying this message, I hope I communicate that. Ezekiel, you know, was carried away with the captives. And in the process of the captivity, you can see uh, the green line is the, uh, the captivity to Babylon in the southern tribes. And the what is that purple magenta line is the... Uh, uh, the captivity uh, that the Assyrians took off. And the, the problem with, with the Assyrians was when they took their captives, they brought in other captives and they literally broke the culture of whatever nation they did. Whereas in Babylon, they kept the Jews together. In Assyria, they actually created it, the necessity that they would have to intermarry. And, and what resulted was these, these uh, non-Jews marrying Jews was the people that we came to call the Samaritans. And the Jews considered them half-breed Jews and were looked down upon for that purpose. I, I don't imagine what a Jew would think of me. I've probably got eight different nationalities as me. I'm, I'm not even a 16th breed of anything, so I'm just a mutt. You know, the, the interesting thing about this is I took this out in the interest of time this morning, and then I put it back in because here's what I want you to see because there's a pattern here. You know, God got tired of what was going on in the world and he caused the flood, but before he caused the flood, he provided an ark that the people who were saved could get out. At Sodom, he decided to destroy the nations of the plain, but before he destroyed the nations, he provided a couple of angels that went in and got his people out. I hope you're seeing a pattern here. In Egypt, he decided to set his captives free after 430 years of captivity. And he did that by plagues and the Red Sea. So he actually cut Israel off from Egypt through the sea. In Babylon... He carried the people away in chains. And when you look at this map, I don't remember the mileage now, but for somehow in the back of my mind, I think it was a thousand miles they had to walk. That's that orange path, but I, I don't really remember the mileage. I remember tell, teaching you about it previously. Uh, he took them away in chains, but he returned them through King Cyrus and they came back. Uh, not all of them, but 50,000 of them came back. In the fall of Israel, he warned his people to get out. When you see the, the armies gathered around, get out of town. And that's what they did. And, and the historians of that day tell us that very few Christians died in the fall of Jerusalem because of this warning. When it was time for his people to return from the nations, he, through World War II and through the man who sought to destroy Israel, managed to bring Israel back as a nation in 1948. Now, the next time... I'm confident, eh, I'd say 90, 95% confident, that he's going to rapture us out 
before it gets too bad. I'm not exactly sure what too bad is, though, but before it gets too bad, I, we have the promise that he's going to take us out of here. And I think you can see a pattern here that before judgment falls, before God's judgment falls, he takes his people out to safety. And that's the promise. No, so no matter what's going on right now in Europe, no matter what happens with Russia, and, and I don't believe this invasion in Ezekiel is the Russian invasion that's happening right now, but I do believe that the Russian invasion that's happening right now is setting the stage for the invasion of this. Now, I don't know whether he's going whether he's going to get whipped and go back and build up his army and get very angry and come back again, or if God is just going to turn him, and that's what the Scripture says. Um, so this is Psalm. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. We're going to see that in this prophecy. He burneth the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Think on these things, David said. Uh, to the invading nations, uh, this is all back up. We're, we're catching up with where we were uh, last week. Uh, to the invading nation, God said this, Gog, you'll recall, is the leader. Magog is the people or the country. And thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I'm against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, which we think is Moscow and Toblusk. I don't, how do you say that city? Anyone know? Toblusk? Say it louder. Say it. I don't know. Well, no, no, I don't mean the Tubal. I'm talking about the city that's a modern-day city. Tobolsk? I can't say it. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into the jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them handling swords. To Israel, God says this. This is what we covered last week. Now, after many days you will be visited. Now, it's interesting. They're currently in captivity in Babylon. They're going to return. They have promises that they're going to return and rebuild. But now, after many days after that, you know, they're going to be kicked out again. This time, they're going to be kicked out for 2,000 years. And after those many days, so we're talking 2,500 years after Ezekiel wrote this, after many days. That's many days. And after many days, you will be visited. In the later years, you'll come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always a waste, but is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely in all of them. Now, the surviving remnant were the ones that were carried away in captivity, but of them, only 50,000 will return. 80,000 will remain in what is currently Iraq, the remaining Jews will live comfortably there until 1947 when Iraq declares itself to be the Islamic Republic of Iraq and then they had to get out of town. But for 2,000 years, many of those captives carried away back in, two, back in uh, the year AD 70 lived comfortably in ancient Babylon and modern Iraq. Uh, most of the Assyrian captives never returned. Uh, leaving behind intermarried Samaritans, and they intermarried in there, and some people call them the lost tribes. God tells the remnant in Babylon, long after this event, you're, you're currently a slave in Babylon, but long after this, I will bring you back out of many nations. Not just bring you back out of Babylon, I'll bring you back from many nations, which is this current diaspora, and you will dwell safely 
in the mountains of Israel. And God warns these invaders, we're still catching up to where we were before. Be thou prepared and prepare thyself and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Get yourself ready. Be on guard. And here's the reason. The reason is, be on guard. You will come from your place out of the north parts, you and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army, and thou shalt come against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land, and it shall be in latter days I will bring thee against my land that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified, set aside in you, O God, before their eyes. So the purpose of this is not necessarily to destroy people, but to exalt God. This is the point. You better get yourself ready. Clearly God owns everything. Clearly he's in control. But he particularly considers Israel to be his home, his land, and the people of Israel to be his people. And it shall come to pass at the same time when God shall come against the land of Israel, said the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken it. Does God ever get angry? The answer is yes. He does get angry. And when he sees those armies approaching to destroy his people, it's going to make him furious. Uh, you bet he gets angry. I can't imagine what he thinks about a country that murders five, 50 million of our unborn. I can't imagine what he thinks of the laws that are currently being passed in our country. I can't imagine what he thinks of what's going on in America today or in the rest of the world, but I can't believe anything but anger will describe how he feels about what's going on. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking of the land of Israel. Now, see, in his anger, God is going to move against this mighty army. And he said, in my jealousy, there will be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the earth and all men that are upon the face of the earth. Is this hyperbole or is this literal? Is this saying it's going to be so bad it's going to scare everyone to death? And does he mean everyone or does he just mean a lot of people? I don't know. I don't know. But it, you know, for, for God to be saying these words... It's a little scary. Even the fish are going to be shaken. The beasts of the field and the creepy things that creep upon the earth. All men that are upon the face of the earth will shake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall. And every wall shall fall to the ground. Now, is this a natural earthquake or is this a nuclear exchange? You can pretty much take your pick. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Is this going to be supernatural or is this going to be natural? We don't know. If it's an earthquake, it's a really bad one because it's going to be in Israel, but it's going to shake all the way over to our side of the earth. So it's going to be a pretty serious earthquake. If we're to take this literally, if this is hyperbole, it can be interpreted to be saying this is going to be a very, very bad earthquake. But if it's literal that the whole earth will be aware of it, it is a very, 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 very bad earthquake. Or it's a, it's a worldwide, the first worldwide nuclear exchange, which it could very well be. Whatever this is, possibly supernatural, possibly nuclear, it's going to get the world's attention. And I believe 
that this event in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 20 is going to be the event that scares everyone enough that they're going to start listening to some new world leader who's going to come in with a promise of peace. It will be that promise of peace that Israel will sign a seven-year contract with. And in that seven-year contract, they will be able to dwell in their land and they will be able to safely dwell in their land at least until the midpoint of that seven years, which we know to be the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Meanwhile, these armies are marching towards Israel. And I will call for a sword against throughout all my mountains, and saith the Lord God, every man, I have a map of this, a topographical map, you'll see why he's saying this. Uh, Through all my mountains, saith the Lord uh, God, I'm sorry, and every sword shall be against his brother. So uh, like, like what happened in Second Chronicles chapter 20, God, in the midst of all this chaos and dust and confusion, an earthquake is going to confuse the communications and the army to a point where they're going to begin to attack, begin attacking one another. They're going to be confused and they're going to begin to tear each other apart. More than that, he said, and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood and will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many peoples that are with him in an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Sounds awful, doesn't it? Every man's sword against his brother. In the midst of all this chaos and dust, God will bring a pestilence and with blood. Sounds like hemorrhagic fever to me. Overflowing rain. Now when you see the topography, how much farther down is my map? I don't see it yet. You'll see that this valley is hemmed in on both sides with with, uh, mountains and it drains towards what we call the Dead Sea. They call it the Red Sea. Uh, it drains toward the Dead Sea. So if they, if they get a lot of rain in those parts and you have an army with all that equipment, uh, you can imagine the mud they're going to be stuck in. Overflowing rain bogged down in torrential rains and mud in that valley. Great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Is this supernatural? Probably, but I don't know. That's what he did at uh, Sodom. Great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Brimstone is molten rock, fire is fire, and hailstones are just hailstones big enough to kill you. So it sounds like a bad place to be. So if somebody says, hey, you want to go over, we're going to join Russia and attack Israel, probably I'll say, no, I don't think I'm interested in that. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. The world will see this event. And we'll understand some things about God. And this, I think, is going to be a court of a sort of a uh, dividing point. People are going to choose to believe in the one true God. They're going to see this as a challenge. And other people are going to see this uh, as being something man against man. And it will begin to divide us even more than we're already divided. But the nations will know when they're turning their back on God. And I will turn thee back. That means... Now, he said he would turn thee in the beginning. I think he turned them to come to Israel the first time. And this time, I'm going to turn you back. I'm going to send you home. I'm going to send you back to where you came from, O God, with all your armies. But I'm going to leave a sixth of you alive and will cause thee to come upon from the north parts and I will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. I will send you back home, but 83% of you will be left dead on the battlefield. We don't know how big this army is, but it's a massive army. Because after this comes the cleanup. And I will smite the bow out of thy left hand and cause thy right arrows to to fall out of thy right hand. 
Thou shalt fall on the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands and the people that is with thee. I will give thee to the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You will fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord. And I will send fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Chuck Missler makes a sort of a tongue-in-cheek joke about this. You know, oftentimes they say the United States is not mentioned in Scripture, especially in prophetic Scripture. And some people see a reference to the isles as a reference to the United States. Uh, it could be the islands surrounding the Mediterranean. It could be Britannia, uh, Britain. It could be any number of islands in that area known at that time, even in Ezekiel's day. Believe it or not, they were carrying on trade with what be, will become England. Uh, uh, and it was a great supplier of tin in those days. Uh, so it could mean those islands, but there's also many people have speculated that these isles are the United States. And what it, what it sounds like is even though... Uh, even though uh, these islands, whoever these islands are, they will be involved in whatever happens in this Israel, in this uh, little tiny, tiny, this valley in Israel. And if it does include the United States, what it would be is, a, is what I believe would be a limited worldwide nuclear exchange, uh, which I believe will set the stage for the rise of Antichrist to world power. Although, honestly, I was astonished to hear Europeans, Europeans saying on the news, we need someone to lead us. And I thought, oh, I didn't think I'd hear that cry, but I've actually heard them say that. We need somebody to step up and lead us. We need a leader. We're looking for a leader. I think, oh, my gosh, do you have any idea what you're saying? You know. Well, I don't know what this is. There's a lot we don't know, and I know. So I'll make my holy name known in the midst of my people. Israel will not let them pollute my holy name anymore, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So the Jews, this is going to be a turning point for the Jews. The Jews are going to realize, many of them, for the first time in generations, that this God of the Old Testament is alive and well and active in their lives. And he's going to intercede on their behalf with this unstoppable army that he's going to stop supernaturally. And the heathen will know that God is angry and the people back home aren't going to escape. And he says this prophetic statement, Behold, it is come is come, past tense. And it is done, saith the Lord God. Which means, I'm not changing my mind. Don't bother praying about this. It's done. This is the day where I have spoken. 2,500 years ago, it's set. It's not changeable. All that's left now is a cleanup. And the cleanup tells us a lot about what's going on here. So I just... I just thought as we wrap up these scriptures, it would be interesting for us to see what they're up against. Uh, all that's left, first of all, is a massive cleanup. We don't know how big this army is. Uh, we, we, we have an idea that Putin went into uh, uh, the Ukraine with 175 to 190,000 men and all that equipment. And they were able to stop it. He won't make this mistake again. 
So we're talking, in my mind, at least a half a million to a million people here. And all they that dwell in the city of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire for seven years. Now, you could argue that uh, they, they're not going to be carrying wooden spears and, and uh, wooden arrows and wooden bows, but they will be carrying munitions that do burn. They will be driving vehicles that have fuel, and, and they will have lots of energy sources there that will provide Israel for all the energy that they're going to need throughout the tribulation. So basically, when you think about it, this was an, uh, an opportunity for God to have delivered to Israel the, their energy needs for the next seven and a half years. So they'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to take that, that, the fuels and, and the munitions and they'll be able to burn it. So they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any of the forests, for they shall burn the weapons with fire and they shall spoil those that spoiled them and rob those that robbed them, saith the Lord. Now, you know, we think of modern military equipment as not burning, but I, I, I've seen many times in documentaries where when a large cache of weapons was uh, laid hold of, they'd put it in a pit and they'd put thermite or uh, other types of grenades, uh, white phosphorus grenades in there, and they'd literally melt that stuff down. The, the plastic would burn up, the, the shells would burn off, and the, uh, the equipment was left unusable. So it, when we're... I don't think it would be. I, I don't think that modern weaponry is catching God by surprise, but I don't think it would have been of any value for God when He gave Ezekiel this prophecy to start describing rifles and shotguns and cannons and, and tanks and helicopters. I think that would have been very confusing in the day that this was written, and I don't think it was necessary. I think we can realize that these weapons, these weapons have been upgraded some in the last three thousand. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves. In Israel, in the valley of the passengers. Passengers there means travelers. That's a valley that people often traveled through. Uh, on the east of the sea. So it's talking about the Dead Sea or the Red Sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers. In other words, all travel through that valley will stop because it smells so bad. See, that's what it's saying. And there shall be there, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude. And they shall call it the Valley of Hamongog. Now this is, I, you know, I, I've swapped this back and forth a couple times. I don't know if you need the close-up or the distance one first. There's, uh, there is uh, Israel. And did I bring this little pointer here? That's the Dead Sea right there. And you see that river? And you see that river. That's the Valley of Hamongog right in there. Wedged in by the mountains. Now here's a close of it, and I think this one. I got to back up. I think. Let me back up. Yeah, you can see it, it's it's it hemmed in by the mountains. See that? So people would travel along those tributaries, and that's how the army approached. It approached from the north. Let me go back again. Is that the right direction? Yeah. They'll come in from the north. The army will mass in from the north, and they'll march in down this way. I had a map, but I didn't want to take the time to do it. They're going to come in from the south, and they're going to come in all the way from down there, and then they're going to come in. Iraq is going to come in from there. So it's going to be the three quarters, if you will, of the world is going to march into that one area. 
with a sign on it that says, hey, God, I dare you, nuke us. You know, we don't care. You know, uh, but uh, you can get an idea. I, I wish I could zoom out from that a little bit and you could see it, but you can actually see the valley pretty well there. So that's going to be the burial place of Hammond God. You can see that. And for seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them, that they may cleanse the land. I had a young lady in my shop class years ago that joined the army, and she came back with PTSD after the first Gulf War. And it wasn't because of the combat that she saw, because really all she did was drive tanks and, and ferry tanks into the combat. She didn't get engaged in the combat. But afterwards, all those that were support troops stayed behind to bury all the dead. And I, I don't even know if she's gotten over that experience yet. Uh, the last time I saw her, she was pretty shaken up by it. They that dwell in the city shall go forth fire and burn the world. Oh, I'm lost here. Right, let's get back on my uh, thing here. Yea, the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to, and it shall be to them a renown of the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord. And they shall sever out of men of continual employment. Now, I put this down there, professionals. Now, there's a couple of questions here. One is, why do they need professionals in some of the aspects of this bearing? And in another part, they're going to wait seven months. Let me read the whole thing, and I'll come back to it. Passing through the land to bury the passengers. I'm sorry, let's go back to the beginning. And they shall suffer out of, the, out of the men of continual employment, that is, professionals, passing through the land to bury with the, with the passengers, travelers who travel that area, those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it. After the end of seven months, they shall search. So on some of them, the townspeople are going to be able to go out and bury lots of them. But on others, they're going to have to wait seven months for some reason. I'm assuming it has something to do with nuclear fallout, uh, but I don't know that. And the passengers, the travelers traveling through the area after seven months. Have I read that part yet? Let's get back there. Yeah, here it is. And the passengers, that is the travelers that pass through the land. When they see a man's bone, then they'll set up a sign. They're going to have a little metal stake with a little flag on it, and they're going to stick it there, but they're not going to touch that bone. See, now that may be a Jewish thing, because they don't want, if you touch something that's dead, you are, you are, was, you're unqualified to go to church. You're unclean. So it may just be a Jewish thing and have nothing to do with radioactivity and let the professionals do it, which, believe me, I would do anyway. Hey, boys, there's, there's bones over here, you know. Or it may be nuclear. We don't know. Anyway, when they see a man's bone, they'll set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hammon Gog. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day forward. This is the spiritual rebirth. Now, the calling of Israel back from Europe was the physical rebirth of Israel after 2,000 years. People said it would never happen, but it happened. But the Israel that we have today is not a religious, well, they're religious, but they're not saved. They're not believers in their God. They have, they have a religious culture, but they don't have individual faith in God. But this is going to shake them up. And this is going to make them realize they have a God. And somewhere between now and the second coming, they're going to realize that Jesus was their Messiah and they killed him and they're going to ask him to forgive them. When they ask him to forgive them, they're probably going to be in hiding by then at the end of the tribulation. When they do, they're going to invite him back 
And that's what Jesus said. You will not see me henceforth until you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, Israel has to invite him back or he's not coming back. So this is the turning point spiritually for them. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity. It wasn't because Nebuchadnezzar got in his head that he needed slaves. It wasn't because the Assyrian king was angry with Assyria. It wasn't because the Jewish kings did wrong. It was because God sent them in captivity because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies so that they, they fell so fell they all by the sword. Boy, that's an awkward sentence to read. So fell they all by the sword. That's why they were killed. They were killed because they turned their back on God and they trespassed against Him. They're going to know it and the world's going to know it that there's a God in heaven. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and I am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God. Amazing to think this was written while they were captives in Babylon. You know how much history has happened since then? Which caused them to be led into captivity among the, le- the heathen. But I have gathered them unto my, on their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them. You see that sentence? I underlined it and enlarged it so you wouldn't miss it. In other words, all these problems are past. So we're moving now In this sentence, we're moving into what we call the millennium, where God is going to live with them. They're not going to turn their back on Him, and He's not going to turn their back on them. They are going to be His people from then on. Is there a future for Israel? You bet there is. And their, their future is with God in the millennium. For I have poured out My Spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord. Now, you know, all these things tend tend to make us nervous, and I, I don't... I don't think Linda got this far in reading that Matthew passage, but I got this when we were watching the movie uh, Friday night. I was thinking about, you know, how Richard Wormbrandt, as he saw the Nazis getting more and more control in Romania, went through the Bible to get out every verse that would tell him not to be afraid, you know. And he said to us, why he wrote them down on, you'd say three by five cards, but they looked more like five by seven cards. He wrote them down as so he could memorize them. You know, he said, I, I, you know, as he was thinking about the Nazis coming into Germany, he's like, I, I think I'm going to need these verses. You know, uh, don't be afraid. Fear not them which kill the body, Jesus said, but are not able to kill the soul. If you want to be afraid of something, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't be afraid of what the world can do to you, Jesus said. Don't be afraid to die, because in dying you will live. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. What a promise. If the sparrows are kept by the promise of God, so are we. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Father, thank you for this time together and this opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for Ezekiel penning these words 2,500 years ago as a slave, a prisoner in Babylon, yet giving his people and our people hope for eternity. Father, my hope is that everyone has found it in their hearts to confess their sins and call on your son Jesus to save them, that when that day comes, we will be in your presence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.